This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hi, this is Ken Anderson, and you're listening to the I Test for Two podcast. Well, as you know, or at least as I hope you know, we have two people on this podcast from the Tampa area. One is, of course, Hall of Fame voter Ira Kaufman, and the other is our Hall of Fame producer, Mr. Ian Glendon, who lives in St. Pete. Well, Ira's not here today. Nope, he had something going on in downtown Tampa. I don't know what it was, but uh, he's preoccupied with that. So, Ian, you're the guy today, and uh, I, I know people in Tampa aren't exactly talking about the Rays being out of the playoffs now. Maybe they are, but they're not talking a lot about it or the beginning of the lightning season. Instead, my guess is they, they've gotten in line with the rest of the country and they're talking about this. Take down Detroit. Tom Brady on third down, scans the field and gets sacked. Brady Jarrett brings him down. But then a flag flies. A flag comes out at the end of the play. Oh, my goodness. This is going to go on Atlanta, breaking Falcons' hearts. Okay. So, Ian, we know it was a bad call. We know that. Uh, but what's your takeaway from it? I mean, you're the president of the Tom Brady fan club. We also know that. But you're a reasonable guy. What's your takeaway from that? Well, first things first, I do want to say that rumor has it that uh, Ira is at a PDQ conference in uh in, in Tampa. so that that's that's the rumor on the street right now but um no look I, my 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 thoughts on the whole situation is and this kind of speaks to the you know the officiating issues we see each and every week i mean it's not a player specific situation it's a you know what bad calls happen and i think specifically this and you know maybe the call we saw last night on monday night football had a lot to do with what we saw a few weeks ago with Tua because we know how this league operates. Yep. They operate based on how the wind's blowing, and the wind recently has been blowing towards, well, how do we prevent concussions? So, you know, you got to imagine there was an emphasis on these quarterback hits. And, you know, in the defense of the officials, I mean, I think both calls last night and the one uh, in the Bucks game and a couple others, if, if you wanted to pay attention over the weekend, but those calls in particular – the, the optics of them looked worse than what they were because both plays represented two calls that are, are you can't, you know, two plays you can't make in the NFL. That's whipping a quarterback down and then landing on top. Now, the result was neither was as forceful as it looked, but the optics looked bad from the referee's point of view. And I think in the moment, you know, they reacted to that. So let me ask you this. Do you think any of those calls and and there were more than two actually there was one in the cleveland game as well do you think that they would have happened without the tua situation in other words do you think there's a cause and effect with the tua situation and suddenly the sort of overreaction what it seems like an overreaction with officials to roughing the passer and quarterbacks getting hit? yeah to some extent i don't think every call gets made because i think there was a heightened uh sensitivity to everything going on this week so i think that added to maybe a little bit of this but um, you know, again, each and every week we, you know, it's a hard game to officiate and, uh, you know, we see mistakes and bad calls happen all the time. And, and usually it's, excuse me, it's centered around the quarterback. Yeah. Unfortunately here, it's centered around Tom Brady nationally, but he's not the only guy. I mean, as we know, Derek Carr 
He got taken down. People were upset about that on Monday night. Jacoby Brissett, <laughs> there's a roughie in the past there. That was the worst one I saw all week. But nobody outside of maybe San Diego and L.A. is talking about that. It's all Brady. No, it, it's true. And, and that, that's really what it is. The name is what, what um, grabs attention and gets clicks. And, you know, if, if people took the time to actually look at the data in terms of, you know, roughing the passer calls, you'd realize that, no, Brady – Brady actually isn't as favored as you think he is. So, uh, but look, it's it's an issue across the league that you know I don't see a, a clear and obvious solution to. Well, to help sort this thing out, we have friend of the show, Fox Rules analyst, and the USFL's head of officiating, Mr. Mike Pereira, join us today from his home in California. And Mike, there is a public outcry, public outcry about roughing the passive penalties now, and not just because of the Brady incident, but because of what happened Monday night when Kansas City's Chris Jones was flagged for falling on Derek Carr after he actually took the ball away from Derek Carr. You were the head of the NFL's officiating department for years. Um, A, how would you like to be the head of the officiating department this week? And, And B, how does the league interpret roughing the passer and does it need to redefine it now? Well, A, no, Um, I do want to be the head of officiating. And I would say that, you know, I've been gone right since uh, the 2010 season, each and every year since then, there are times when I say I wouldn't want to be the head of officiating again. Um, It's not like this is necessarily abnormal that we have this outcry at some point during the year. Um, But, you know, I, I, I just have to look and I would have to look into how we got to where we got so quickly and try to try to assess whether it is a reaction to what happened to Tua. And um, if it is indeed a reaction, is it an overreaction? Um, As I look at it from the outside, um, nothing that happened with Tua, none of those tackles seemed illegal to me. Um, So it's kind of one of those things where are we just reacting to an injury and the publicity that goes along with it. And, you know, have we set a new standard, you know, for what roughing the passer is? Look at going into week five, the number of roughing the passer calls that have been made in the first four weeks of the season were down. I mean, and that's an interesting stat to me. And it all becomes there was a conscious effort to talk about hits to the quarterback's head. If it was a glancing blow, don't call it. If they try to match the hands, don't call it. Match the hands mean that the defender is trying to knock the ball out of the quarterback's hand as he's in the throwing motion. If he follows through and hits the quarterback head, it's not a foul unless it's forcible. And so the message that kind of went out early was that they've been calling too many. And then, you know, you head into this week and you have all of a sudden this outcropping of plays that, you know, that that really aren't fouls. I mean, they are not fouls. I mean, I, the, the league, and I get it, they'll defend them. Um, I, I defended probably calls that I shouldn't have defended during my time too. But there is a certain element of common sense, Clark, that to me, when you look at these plays and you and I and 
And I was in the bar last night. So 35 drunks in the bar. There weren't 50, but there were 35. You weren't one of them, were you? No, no, <laughs> not me, not me. I was actually kind of sitting at the bar by myself watching the game. And they all knew I was there, but I was just trying to enjoy the game. But to, the rules have to somewhat reflect common sense. And if this is where we're going now, then this is not where we should be to me, in my opinion. I mean, we can't keep players from making normal plays. And, and this play that we had on Monday night had all the elements of, you know, the elements that aren't usually there. The ball came loose. The player has the ball. Um, Jones has the ball in his right arm. I mean, how is he supposed to roll off if he's trying to control a loose ball? Um, it's just, it's just, it's just not good at this moment. Well, an NFL executive this week did say he thought it was an overreaction to the Tua situation. That ever since that's happened, that officials are more cognizant than ever of hits to the quarterback and trying but, but to do something like that. But I would argue that point and say, where does that come from? I mean, who did they get direction? I mean, I see videos that they put out. I mean, they share them with us because they want to keep um, us educated as to what they're talking about to their officials. And there was nothing, there was not a mention of Tua. So are, are we reacting, are officials reacting to what is read in the paper? Um, I, I kind of find that hard to believe too. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it, obviously they're going to look at this quite closely. The danger to me is if they look at the hit on Brady and they look at the hit on uh, Brissett, I think it was, who was it, Jacoby, if they look at that and if they look at the, hit on car if they say those are correct if they say those are right calls then then we're really treading into a dangerous area because then you're actually inviting more like that to be called um but again i'm not on the inside and i don't know what they will do on the inside it's not even necessarily my business and i'm glad it's not me that um has to make those types of decisions on what they're going to say over the next few days well, you've been in that office. You were there for years. Do you expect something's going to come down this week because of the response? I mean, the league doesn't like the, the nation or football fans talking about officiating the day after a game. They want you talking about the game. They want you talking about the officials. Do you think there'll be a response, a knee-jerk response to this, and there'll be a clarification? I don't think there'll necessarily be a clarification. I, I just think, look, at, I, and maybe I'm wrong, but back in my day, we – we were more transparent. Right. I mean, you know, we, we, when we made a mistake, listen, we acknowledged that we made a mistake. And, and the problem is when you don't acknowledge when you've made a mistake, then you have no credibility when you try to defend yourself. And, and I'd like to see the league kind of go back to that because they haven't done it basically since, uh, I was there and Blandino, somewhat with Blandino, he was more transparent, but there hasn't really been much transparency since then. And, you know, you only gain, you know, the public's trust, I think, when you actually say, yep, we shouldn't have made that call. Look, you can't go back and change it. They tell the clubs that. So, you know, get it over with. The minute you do it and say it, then it ends. And um, to, to a great degree, it ends. And, but, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, I, I think that, I think there's lessons to be learned and it is this game that we're in. We're trying to be perfect, right? We're trying to get officiating perfect. I think the more relevant question is, 
will they consider doing anything about it in the long term? Look, if what happened, you mentioned it early on when you basically introduced me, you know, I ran the um, USFL officiating program. If that play would have happened in the USFL, the replay official would have reversed the call and said, it's not roughing the passer. Um, now the replay official was me. Um, and so I made those decisions, but in the semifinals of the championship uh, playoff season, I mean, there was a call that, uh, that went in favor of the New Jersey generals erupting the passer call on an interception that was returned like 80 yards. And it just wasn't a good call. It was similar to what we had last night. There was contact and they were going to the ground, but the player kind of stuck his arm out to brace himself. It just wasn't a foul. So we reversed it. We took it off and it was the right thing to do. And it didn't take away a, an 80 yard interception return. So you're back to the old sky judge. That's really what you're back to. Can you go to an eighth official, put him in a booth, let him see the play. I'm saying leave replay out of it. I've said that from the get go and let him give that eighth view. My God, college officials, there's eight on a crew. NFL, there's seven. Put an eight, just make an eight. Sky judge is a perfect name. But give him the opportunity to make those corrections. And I would say you could do it like the USFL, like we did it last year, all personal fouls. Um, let, let him look at that. If you call a face mask and it's not, take it off. If you call a horse collar and it's not, take it off. If you call roughing the passer and it's not, take it off. I mean, seems reasonable, seems logical, but it seems a bit outside the box, which the NFL is, does, they're, they're really kind of slow to do that well that said i mean a lot of people feel that's a very logical mike but it sounds like that said being the history of the nfl nothing would happen in that case during the season but what about the off season with a competition committee would you think they might be in favor of something like that now because they have been slow to respond to public outcries like this but they responded i mean it took them forever with the tuck rule but they finally responded um and it took them forever well not forever actually it was the next uh, off season with a holy roller if you remember that in 1978 in san diego right. um but it was in the off season you would would you expect something to happen in the off season and would you not expect something to happen during the season i would expect it to happen if this was the super bowl that we just played on monday night and it was fresh in everybody's mind in reality this is week five and so by the time the competition committee first meets in the middle of february or probably third week of February, since the Super Bowl is like February 12th now, um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it, it probably is not an emotional issue, you know, whereas now it's an emotional issue and a logical issue. It certainly will be brought up, but I'm not, I'm not optimistic. You know, one thing is, you know, the AAF is the one, the Alliance of American Football was the first one that developed the notion of a sky judge. And then, of course, the USFL has followed that up last year with having this, this replay official that could correct those calls that were made. And I think the USFL will even look at it even further, expanding what that person's right to do on the field, more like a sky judge in more areas than just personal fouls. I think you'll, you'll probably see that expand um, in the 2023 season. But... I'm just not so sure every time you see something that's big that happens in the early part of the season, the tendency seems to be that it's 
becomes not an important issue when the competition committee meetings roll along. Also depends on Roger. I mean, on Roger Goodell, he can push things if he wants to push things. And so if he gets something in his mind and if something is in his mind now based on this and he starts to push the issue, then something could happen. But I would not be optimistic, quite frankly. Mike, I want to get in here in just a second, but I got one more question for you. Uh, Hall of Famer Chris Carter this week of the Brady situation called it the worst call of the season, except it wasn't. The worst call is one that you referenced earlier. It was in Cleveland, the Jacoby Brissett situation. He's pushed by a San Diego defensive lineman. I mean, literally sort of tapped, and he decides to fall backwards, head over heels. Craig Gumbel, the announcer, says, that looked like a strong wind off Lake Erie, and yet they flag him for roughing the passer. So why isn't America getting upset about that? They focus on Brady, Brady, Brady. I guess they just don't know about Jacoby Brissetta. They don't care about the Browns. Well, Brady, Brady, Brady. I mean, look, this goes back for years, right? I mean, it goes back with him in the, in the contact, the low contact in the knee area with the lunge against Kansas City or whatever it was that created an actual rule change. So everybody thinks everything, everybody thinks everything is about who is successful. I mean, and so the... The Patriots have been a target. Brady has been a target. And um, and so you have enough, gosh, do I say it properly? You have enough jealous fans out there that anything that happens to Tom Brady, they think that the league is making that happen because the league likes Tom Brady, all of that stuff. Maybe it'll be better next year when Tom Brady is in the Fox announcing booth. You, you, and, think, uh, and, you think that's going to happen next year? I'm not so sure. I, I, you know, whenever he, whenever he stops playing, although, you know, probably if he's in the announcing booth, somebody will claim that I took a cheap shot at him, you know, when he, <laughs> when he said something rule-based that wasn't right. But um, it, it's that's just kind of been the way it is that he drives the needle when it comes to, uh, to, to what fans talk about and how the league thinks that they protect him. I mean, I think, it, Mike, I think all that started with the tuck rule. I think it all started oh, with the tuck rule. There's no question that it did. There's no question that it did. And, it, I mean, that one play really turned around an entire franchise. That's right. So, you know, I, I get it, but – you know, I, listen, there's no way that, you know, there's so many myths that that surround officiating. Um, the makeup call is a myth. Um, and then protecting a player is a myth, an individual, not a player. I mean, protecting the quarterback is not a myth, but protecting one quarterback more than the other is a myth. I mean, the one thing that you as an official don't want to do is make a mistake. And if you make a mistake and you get downgraded, your chances of getting to the Super Bowl have just about gone out the window. So in terms of makeup calls, why would you want to make a second bad call to make up for a first bad call? And then you get two downgrades in one game and then you're out of the playoff contention. I mean, so well, there's so many out there, so many myths, but it, the game's too fast, happens too fast to favor one player or the other. Not so much a question. I'm just going to reiterate what you said. And, you know, if you look at... <clears throat> the history of calls for Brady, it's remarkably low considering the perception out there. But, you know, as we know in sports, perception isn't always the reality, but sometimes that perception is what gets things done. So if if Brady's name being thrown around is the catalyst to, to you know, get something right when it comes to replay or, or, or roughing the passer, then I guess in the long run, if they do get it right, it was worth it. Well, you know, and the Brady thing too, you know, I used to, 
I used to get flack about Michael Vick and Michael Vick used to get called for a lot of fouls. I mean, he didn't get a lot of calls is what he did. He didn't get a lot of calls. Tom Brady got more calls. Well, Michael Vick is a total different type of quarterback. I mean, he's on the run. He's not defenseless. I mean, Tom Brady, if somebody gets close, he takes a dive, um, you know, and Michael Vick takes off running. So you, you're right about the numbers. And I did that same study many, many moons ago, but nobody buys it. I mean, nobody, nobody buys it. Um, but in fact, Ian, you're absolutely right. The numbers dictate that Brady is not given any extra advantage as a quarterback. I, I might have to pull that sound bite and play it over and over again. I like the Ian was right <laughs> part, but. <laughs> hey, Mike, are, are there officials who are more prone to calling something like this? Because Keep in mind, the week before Jerome Boger was involved in the play with Baltimore and Buffalo, and it was in the last two minutes of the game, and you probably saw that Josh Allen knocked on his back and they throw the flag. And it certainly didn't look like roughing the passer. I don't know what your feeling was on that, but I saw the game and I went, whoa, boy, I'm surprised. That didn't, that didn't look that bad. I, I'm surprised. But then here we have the same guy in the middle of a controversy now. Is, is, is that possible that there's some officials or referees who are more likely to call that than others? Sure. Um, but I think if you look at the actual numbers, if we went through the numbers right now through through um, week five, you would probably see and I haven't seen them yet, but you'll probably see that the person that's called the most roughing the pastors have called is called four and, and the rest are three. And maybe there's one or two that are one or zero. So it's not the spread's not big. It's never very big. And um, so I, I look at teams scout officials i mean they scout officiating crews coming into um games they know who's throwing more i mean they they used to tell me you know when jerry markbrack was assigned to a game the head coaches would say to the defenders don't breathe on the quarterback don't breathe on him because if you do mark Wright's going to throw the flag i think it was more so then than it is now i don't think there's that type of feeling around now that one guy necessarily calls the most but you look at you look at penalty totals by crew and you know pretty much everybody's the same i mean it's not bad it's in that 13 14 range but then there's an outlier with one crew that averages about seven per game by the way that's beautiful football with only seven fouls a game um but you know all in all everybody's just about pretty much the same well, I was interested in what you said about the individuals, because I believe, as you do, that they don't single out an individual. Ian certainly does, too. I'm looking at Ian right now on Zoom. He's got Tom Brady jersey behind him. He's got Tom Brady paraphernalia there. He's the president, Mike, of the Tom Brady fan club, so you should know that. <laughs> um, but that's going to be my best friend then when Tom Brady moves into the booth. and says, There you go. I'm, 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 I'm thinking long term here. I'm thinking about my yeah, future. <laughs> Ian will be going, hey, uh, any chance uh, maybe I can come to the booth, you know, for a game, you know. Where do you live, Ian? I'm, I'm in St. Pete. It's very sunny. There's a lot of golf courses down here the beaches oh so when tom brady comes back to st pete to tampa to do a game on fox it, hey, clark ian could be the very first guy that pays me to um <laughs> drive him up to the booth to there you go emphasize pay <laughs> he'll also be the guy at the will call window looking for those mike Pereira tickets right those free tickets right <laughs> yeah. right um so anyway it just sort of following on that if you heard, I know you probably don't pay attention, but Rex Ryan this week, you know, outcry of Rex Ryan. Do they, do they give 
Brady calls it. You don't give others. He goes, of course they do. Been screaming about that for years. They did that when I was with the Jets. He gets calls that others don't. You want to make it clear that Rex, no, actually, he does not. Right? Yeah, absolutely. He does not. And Rex, enjoy your time in the studio. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I always, I always love, um, it, it's so easy to be so opinionated when you haven't done what the officials have to do and realize what happens in real time. I mean, it's, that's, that's what bothers officials, quite frankly. Officials, officials they, don't, they don't mind being criticized by John Perry or by Terry McCauley or by Dean Blandino or Gene Steratore or me because we've done it. We understand. We understand the difficulty of it. And even when we criticize, for the most part, we criticize respectively. Uh, respectfully, but it's it's hard when somebody hasn't done it, which somebody hasn't experienced it, you know, to sit out there and act like, you know, they're so great and know all that they know all when in fact, all they're doing is looking at it in super slow motion. But it's the it's the nature of the beast. And you just learn to accept that and go on. But it, you know, it doesn't. Um, it's not very fun when you get ripped, especially when you get ripped when you're right. I mean, that's the hard part. And, you know, and that does indeed happen. And you get ripped by a former quarterback or you get ripped by a former coach or you get ripped by a former defensive player. It's um, we're all great officials when we get to see it in super slow motion. Well, I like what you said about transparency, because honestly, I do remember back in your tenure. And I think of that San Francisco Giants game playoff game that was out there. And you remember, I think there was a game-winning kick and uh, something. I'm trying to think what went what, what wrong there. but I know. Were, I was there, Clark. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Just to remind you, it was a candlestick. Um, so, but you acknowledged a couple of days later, yeah, we made a mistake here. And I think people like that. I mean, like the fact that they may not like the outcome, but like the fact that, you know what, they, they found something there that was a miss. We thought it was a miss. At least they acknowledged it. Maybe we didn't like the outcome, but at least they acknowledged the mistakes and hopefully they learned from it. Well, look, at the NBA does it in their thing in the last two minutes, you know, they post all these things, what calls are right or wrong and all this type of thing, which I'm not really a fan of that, but I am a fan of transparency. Look, the, what's the easiest thing to do? The easiest thing to do is to admit you're wrong when everybody knows you're wrong. I mean, that's, that's quite simple to do. And, and it does kind of end a lot of the discussion. And, um, you know, but as I said earlier, Man, you're talking about integrity of the league. It really does fall a lot of it on officiating. So you just have to be with these fans now that are not like the fans of my day when I was younger. These fans are so invested, whether it's fantasy football, um, whether it's now legalized gambling or whatever it is. I mean, they're so invested now that they they deserve to know. Now, I wouldn't put every play and every mistake, but when you have something that is a critical mistake, um, you know, put it out there, find the right person to do it. I don't know who it is now. I mean, you know, is it Perry fuel? Who is it? I mean, from the officiating side, somebody, but to me, I, I think we were better off when we were a little more transparent. Well, last question for you, Mike, at the top of this interview, you said, no, I would not want to be the head of officiating today. If you were, however, a, what would you do? today, tomorrow, this week, in response to what happened the past oh, week, two weeks, and we had three bad calls this past weekend that I'm aware of, and, and B, what would you suggest that the commissioner, be it Roger Goodell or anyone else who's in that job, do? 
either in the short term or in the long term? Well, the first thing I think I would do if I was the head of officiating today is submit my resignation letter um, on the on the desk of the commissioner. And uh, but no, really, I, I I think the knowing where we are right now, I would call a, a, a meeting, a Zoom meeting with all 17 of my referees to uh, to just have a conversation and saying, look, I support you, but here's where we are on this. We've gone too far beyond the needle. Now, has it been done before? Sure. Remember a couple of years ago when holding calls like Zoom through the roof because they said they were going to call backside holds and there were 10 a game, 12 a game. Week three, they had a discussion and, uh, and the competition committee did kind of drive it. And they said, okay, hold it now, let up. This, is what, this wasn't what we're looking for. There's the possibility that that could happen. But ultimately, I think I would just get the 17 referees together, tell them what my feeling is about these calls that have been made and, and, and give them some comfort because they're getting bashed um, so bad right now. Give them some comfort that everything is gonna be all right it will pass, but let's look at these plays and make sure that these aren't ones that technically maybe they're supportable by rule, but they're really not ones that we want called. And just to make clear here, uh, you said talk to them about maybe the possibility that something could happen. Do you think there's a likelihood that something could happen in the offseason? No. Okay. All right. Mike, thanks so much. Always a pleasure dealing with you. Thanks for getting up early for this call. Appreciate it. My gosh, it's not that early. I mean, I'm not that old. I know I'm, <laughs> old, you know, my gosh. I mean, I'm up plenty early. I'm up earlier than this to go to the bathroom, Clark. So. <laughs> that was good to hear. I think, I think we're all in that same boat, Mike. Thanks so much. You Appreciate it. it. That was the NFL's former VP of officiating, now also the USFL's head of officiating, Mike Pereira. And in, um, you know, you're you're a smart guy, as I said at the top of this show. Um, what do you expect a response will be either in season or out of season? Because Mike is not too optimistic and he's a lot closer to the situation than you or I. But you also know that the NFL does have knee jerk responses to public outcries, especially under Roger Goodell's tenure. What do you think is going to happen? Honestly, I, I really don't know what they can do to change the rule, because, again, <clears throat> I think this might be a, a situation where they're going to kind of ease the foot off the gas a little bit on this. Maybe the public outcry, like you said, the, the NFL does tend to, to to go with the wind. And what does the public say? Within reason. I mean, they're not going to drastically yeah. change things, but they're always looking to stay in the, the positive eye of the, of the public. And I, I think, you know, maybe they'll look at the situation and be like, OK, may, maybe we went a little over the top here and we need to scale back. Oh, are those fans responding to Mike Pereira? They responded to your response there, Ian. I'm not oh, so sure. I, I that, that was actually me cheering on the uh, the comment made by Mike Pereira about me being right. So, <laughs> actually, I think they're asking about. Uh, I was there. Are they asking about? Well, if they are, I will respond. I wasn't there. This is our first. I wasn't there, but I want to mention it because it's relevant to our conversation. It goes back to September 10th, 1978, week two of the NFL season. The Raiders, then in Oakland, the Oakland Raiders against the San Diego Chargers at Jack Murphy Stadium. Chargers are winning. They're winning 20 to 14. It's late. And I mean, real late. They're just seconds left. Ken Stave was the quarterback. He drops back from the 14-year-old line. He's going to pass. Oh, here comes Fred Dean. Fred Dean's going to sack him. Stable does the only thing he can do. 
No, he doesn't fall to the ground. He doesn't throw an incomplete pass. He hurls the ball forward on the ground. Pete Banizak sees it, swats it towards the end zone. At the five, it's still rolling. Dave Casper, the tight end Hall of Famer, Dave Casper, sees it also. He kicks it to the end zone and then falls on it. Result? Touchdown. Jerry Markbrat, the referee, ruled a touchdown. Man kicks the extra point. Final score, 21-20. to 20. Oakland wins. Now, afterwards, Stable was asked about it, and he said, was I trying to fumble? Hell yeah, I was trying to fumble. It's the only thing I could do. But the point of that was Jerry Markbright, who was under fire in San Diego and was for years after that play, he actually called the play correctly according to the rule book. But guess what? We mentioned it here in this program. The league did respond. Now, it took them the end of the se- till the end of the season, but in the offseason, the competition committee did respond. And they said, after a two-minute warning, only the player who fumbled can advance it. So no more holy rollers. But there's an example, the end of the league, actually responding now a long time ago, but it responded. And on a side note, uh, an example of them taking a while to respond, that that tuck rule that everyone was so up in arms about, that lasted until 2011. So a whole 10 seasons after that egregious yeah egregious eye roll which they actually called correctly mm-hmm. and i've said i said this i think on this program before rick Gosden and i had been in a playoff game before at a playoff game before that afternoon in chicago the eagles and the bears we go back to the marriott hotel to watch that game it's in the snow back in new england and then we see it and i go that's it let's go game's over he fumbled and the table next to us was the officiating crew from the bears eagles game they were sitting there and they said, not so fast. I went, what are you talking about? They said, that's coming back. I said, no, it's not. He fumbled. They said, no, it's not. That was a forward pass. So they explained his arm going forward, blah, blah, blah. And it was interpreted correctly. And said, so we know what happened. And then, uh, as uh, Mike pointed out, launched a franchise and certainly launched one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, his career. But just think of that one play. Had it gone the other way, how things might have been differently. But, yeah, it took him a whole like seven, eight years, uh, whatever, nine to what, 10 years to, to respond. It took him forever. It took him an eternity to respond. Uh, Ian, at this point, I always say final thoughts for uh, Ira. Do you have any final thoughts, maybe on this subject, any other subject? Uh, no, I mean, look, I, I think we've we've covered a lot of the officiating stuff. I mean, I, I, I think it's certainly an overreaction from a lot of the, the, the media and, and by through them, the, the fans, because the fans are going to echo what, you know, some of the most popular media accounts are going to say, and a lot of them were up in arms about the Brady play, but to your point, the Jacoby Brissett one was worse. The Carson Wentz one was arguably worse, um, and those two plays occurred the same exact day. So, uh, you know, my my thought is, and we see this with sports all the time, that the the hyperbole is out of control and almost irresponsibly to the point where, like, you know, you're going to see these things, you're going to hear them, and you're going to believe them. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. And I trust me, I spent the better half of the last day and a half providing roughing the passer numbers uh, very plainly. And people still want to believe that X quarterback gets officiated differently when the reality of it is they officials have a thankless job. There, there's no positives that come out of them doing their job well. It's just negative, negative, negative. And the rules are so complicated and change day to day that, uh, you know, how do you expect them to be perfect? And that's where we're at right now. Yeah, I can't imagine what the response would have been had social media been around in 1978 with a holy roller. Oh, my God. 
in or San the Diego. Tuck world. An, yeah, or the Tuck World. But in San Diego, then there was an outcry, but nobody was caring about it outside of San Diego. Anyway, that's going to do it. If you'd like to listen to this or any iTest for Two podcast, go to itestfor2.com. It's a great site that Ian set up. Or folkpresscoverage.com, also a very great site that Ian set up. And you can find us. Otherwise, join us next week on the iTest for Two. And maybe, just maybe, Carl will be here too. Thanks so much for listening.